Hi Jeremy. Hi Raphael. Um, welcome back. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been away, but I, I was I was back. I was people don't know I was away because I was in Toronto last week, but I've been away in Chicago for a week. You're, you're right. Yeah, it's nice to be home. I was in. I was nearby. I was in Cleveland. You went to Cleveland. Was yeah. that an artist talk or something? Yeah. Mm, Midwest. That's where friendly people are from. <laughs> no, they were all mean. It was strange. No. <laughs> yeah, they, they were very friendly. What were it, you doing it, there? It it seems to me, people are kind of friendly everywhere, but uh, mm-hmm. except in Russia. Oh in yeah. Uh, I mean, to our Russian listeners, I would say <laughs> that's. <laughs> no, it's always the people that you know that you, you're working with that, that they're friendly, but. In different countries, like the average person in a supermarket in Russia seemed unfriendly, but maybe it's just their way of, uh, their intonation or the way they talk. I would say, like, I've met some of the friendliest people I know in the world in Russia, but I've also met some of the meanest people. <laughs> it's like, they're very much about extremes. Okay. Uh, that's what I would say. So, yeah, yeah they can be... Uh, oh, and if you can hear that in the background, I've been very mean. I've put um, my kitten uh, Scully in the bathroom, so you might hear uh, purring or, well, more likely crying. Maybe we can do a field recording next week of the cat. Yeah, well, it's a live field recording. Yeah. <laughs> every animal every time. torture live on the podcast. <laughs> I feel really bad. She knows really how to get at my heartstrings. So, the, um, so the problem is, if you let her out of the bathroom, then she jumps on the keyboard. Yeah, like if I let her out, she'll just like she'll go she'll she'll like run riot. She'll like yeah, she'll just toss things over, break things. She'll she'll mm-hmm. definitely sit on my keyboard while we're doing the podcast. So do you like having a cat? I do. I mean, it's like nice to have um someone else uh, give you affection and to give affection to. <laughs> There's like a certain uh emotional kind of uh, I don't Man, know. This like, is kind of heartbreaking. Sound in the our listeners are going to cry. <laughs> the Good Point podcast from this point forward is just like cat crying and then us yeah. talking on top of cat crying. It's, it's just a, a being calling out to be cuddled. It's like, please. And you're yeah. like, nope, nope. I got to hey. talk to Raphael. Yeah. I'm a stay at home dad, and this is the reality. I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, in a few years, the cat will be lazy; like it won't jump around so much. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm. I'm looking forward to finding out. Like, I know some cats are skittish. So every cat has a personality, right? But I've never had a cat. Um, I was talking to my mother the other day. She had five cats at one point. She said she had to watch out because sometimes they would. They were very smart, and they would plot together against <laughs> her or something. It's like they you scratch see- her. They just like to do different devious things. I mean, yeah. I have noticed the the cognition or like the intelligence of the cat seems higher than the dog I, I previously had. Um, I don't know. I could be doing a cats versus dogs thing on the air and it's, it's not a good idea. But yeah, uh, yeah, seems like bright. But then again, she chases her own tail. That's out of the dog. I don't know. Well, I, I do think uh Animal behavior seems more logical than human behavior. Like they, they don't go out of their way to make their own life complicated. Right, right. Well, I think like, it's a good like thing. chasing your tail seems like a very fun activity. They're not like, oh, I need a console and then I need electricity and I need, no, mm-hmm. I'll just chase my tail. There is this, yeah. There does seem like most of her days are pursue. It's a pursuit of fun that she's seeking. Like, yeah, um, which is like a clever. Yeah, what segment. is wiser than that? Why, why is that? I think because her needs no, are No, no, what t- is wiser than that? Oh, what is wiser? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I believe it's it's wise as long as your needs are fulfilled, 
you know, what do you do after that, right? Yeah, but but cats or uh, animals are just very. They, I don't think they can worry because they they don't have the capability of planning. So, but they would worry if they're out there and and they hadn't eaten, right? Like as soon as you're hungry, you start to worry, mm. or as soon as mm. you're cold, you start to worry. And it, it's a good segue into this this week's topic, which. Um, you know, you've been looking for a little levity, uh, and so we chose yeah. fun fun as the topic. But I thought I'd kick things off by like sort of, you know, a the cat's looking for fun. But like, if you know, working in a product company, it's interesting because you know, working for FreshBooks, one of the things when I first joined um, was that they had kind of established a product that was like easy to use, fully functional, had all the features people thought they needed. And so there were very few feature requests, but I, what I was hired to do was to make the the product more fun to use and to bring like delight to it. <laughs> I like I like how I wanted to do an episode about fun and you bring productivity software immediately. <laughs> well, I thought it was, it was just something I was I was thinking about this morning because I was helping a colleague um, with some stuff and I was looking at this old book which was. And I, about, I just want to go back like a few steps because I think okay. there's a classic. Uh, psychological analysis of the the balance between pleasure pleasure and duty, mm-hmm. and I think you're very far on the duty side. It's like, oh yeah, fun, <laughs> yeah yeah, I can make your accounting software fun. <laughs> well, no, well the point I was trying to make just to kick things off is like when yeah. everything is well taken care of and it's e- in product design when everything the the hierarchy of needs is like, hey, make it functional, make it have the features I need. Then it's like make those features easy to use, then make it like you know, feel natural. But the, at the very top is like, make it personally meaningful and pleasurable and fun. Yeah. Right. But, and but like it's, it's fun is different to diff- like to me, uh, Gmail is beautiful. And then the Google inbox with all the illustrations is, is a nightmare. And the, the Google calendar app mm-hmm. for, for iPhone, when they, you, you, you say, Hey, lunch with Jeremy. And then it adds like a funky drawing of a plate. And it, I find the drawing very ugly. So they're trying to add fun, but it's actually causing pain. Oh, that's interesting. So it's getting aesthetic in your way. torture, I call it. And I've definitely um, detected that at different times when we've, you know, and it's a hard thing to do well to make something meaningful to everyone. Um, but like, well, it, it, yeah, like, but but then we're we're going in the direction of uh, UX design. Yeah, well, I just yeah. wanted to bring it up because it was on my mind. And no, it's fine. It's fine. It, it, it's also there's many kinds of fun. Like for some people, optimizing their workflow is re- a lot more fun than like going dancing. But you, I think the reason I bring it up is you wouldn't imagine that humor belonged in product design. But I just want to like set the record for, for our listeners that it's a conversation that happens continuously among software designers. Like, is this fun enough? Is there is you know, is well, there enough humor? Well, there's also a whole tradition of hacker humor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Easter eggs and all of this stuff. And yeah. I'm, re- I'm reminded that the, the most number of comments I've ever received working in software over a decade have always been about the, the, the tiniest little hilarious things we put into the software. And then I'm reminded of my favorite products and even some of my not-so-favorite products, and it's always those experiences that I remember. I'll be like, yeah, it does the job. And then the, the, if you ask me to tell me something, tell you something about that product, like let's take MailChimp as an example, which is this email newsletter software. Just before you set you know, hit send on your campaign. There's this like shaking monkey fist or like with an yeah, fi- yeah, index yeah. finger that's like about to press a button. He's sweating. And everyone remembers that. But it's, it's functional also because you really could, have to think before you send out a newsletter. You don't want to have a typo or a broken but, link. So you have to really be like, are you ready? Are you sure? And so yeah. that, that visual helps you to pause. 
But that's the first good point I wanted to make, which yeah, is that yeah, there's yeah. a hierarchy, which is like easy to use comes before fun. But if you can do both and make it meaningful, you kind of reach this nirvana. And the products that we surround ourselves with are often that way. It's like, okay, if I buy a funny looking light, if it doesn't actually function to create light in my house, guess what? It's like not very funny. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, if Alexa how is your, tells how is your Amazon going? <clears throat> yeah, I was about to segue like, if Amazon, uh, you know, can't tell me what the weather or the news is, but tells jokes, guess what? Like, I didn't buy joke <laughs> telling <device. laughs> But if she's yeah. able to tell me the weather and add a little zinger on the end, hey, I don't mind. You know? But if the zinger, uh, like, if they only program five zingers and you've been using it for a year, then it gets old. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. If it gets repetitive, of course that's not. Brrr, it's cold. Ooh, Jeremy, you should wear your coat. And then, like, after five times, you're like, just oh, tell God. me the temperature. You're reminding me, like, Siri, it's, yeah. like, so patronizing to a Canadian, because every time you ask it what the weather is, it's like, <laughs> brr, it looks pretty terrible. You're like, it's a great day, actually, Siri. I'm sorry that it doesn't st- live up to your San Francisco expectations. <laughs> it's, like, so oh, biased man. towards California. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, that was sort of the first point I wanted to kick off. But it, it is a natural segue into, like, art, right? Because art is not functional. Um, well, I yeah, I was thinking about art. Like, isn't the whole goal of art to get paid to have fun? That's really why people make art. Well, all that's this, like a, that's... all this stuff, like to legitimize and to create intellectual hierarchy and, and validity, is really what people want to be. Is like, I, I want to be a child. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean. Yeah, but you have to get things done. I mean, like I said, you have to feed y- yourself. You yeah, have to but what, yourself. what I mean is that people have added academics and all kinds of layers on top of playfulness yeah. to def- in a defensive position. I don't think I don't think you're wrong. And uh, what I, but I, the argument I kind of want to make to start just to get provocative is like <clears throat> art is kind of like fun for adults that don't want to <laughs> that like they need to like have an excuse to have fun right like as you get older you need more and more excuses to have fun and yeah yeah exactly well just if you if you go back to your kitten or to when you have a two-year-old child Mm -hmm. like of course you can uh, move crayons around on a piece of paper if it's fun just do it yeah or you want to hammer and and hit a piano and make sounds yeah sure you don't have to be a master but you can have fun I've just been thinking a lot about it recently because um, I was talking to a friend who's really into video games, and I used to be really into video games. This is a bit of a sideways slam, but I th- I promise we'll get back to the main topic. And I was thinking yesterday, oh, you know, I have this virtual reality headset at home. I should really play a video game. And there's this like game that's free to play. Wait, which this one weekend. do you have? Well, uh, Oculus Rift. Okay. And there was like a free weekend on this game that I had wanted to try. And I was like, think like I just wanted to go through the thought process as I had in my head. I was like, hmm, I have this work to do. If I start the game, there's going to be a bunch of rules I have to learn. I started to say like, is there a difference between the game and life? I was, <laughs> I was just <laughs> thinking like, the game's going to require that I get good at it to actually have fun, and therefore like, and I'm going to have to study this, so you know, it, the principles. Yeah. Da, da, da. And I was like, wait a second, this game sounds a lot like work. Um, and so yeah, I was having then, a hard and time. It, it, it's funny like. What used to be called chores when you were young, actually now is more exciting. Like a lot of people would love to have a country house and, and paint the barn on a summer mm-hmm. day. Like that is a lot of fun to people. And like maybe when you're 12, you just want to play Mario Kart. Right. But, yeah, but maybe right. At, at this age, it seems more fun to me to um, uh, uh, 
what's the word when you redo a, a broken house and fix it up over yeah, the like refurbish time? a house refurbish yeah that sounds like more fun but when you're 12 that sounds like a chore yeah exactly but when you're 12 you build like a house out of lego and you know or you build a garden house like a tree house yeah yeah, Which so what I've been too. what I've been thinking is like maybe fun is just like it as I've gotten older, yeah, what's fun is like, you know, creating a company or something or like yeah. figuring out it's more like difficult challenges and puzzles. And I was working with some artists last week in Chicago and I reframed, you know, there was some frustration around one of the the projects that we were working on. I reframed it as like these are a series this is just a series of puzzles we need to figure out. And it really resonated with the the person I was working with. And I, I realized that I take for granted that that's kind of how I view everything. I mean, I'm always having fun. I'm kind of known for being uh, a very happy-go-lucky person. Um, though I also yeah, what's, worry what's a lot of Yeah, what's a grumpy Jeremy day? A grumpy Jeremy day would be one where like I have a lot of anxiety that I might be not doing the best for other people. Like that I might be... Mm. Um, acting with good intentions but causing unintended uh, harm. And, so, so you know. the worst Jeremy day is like you have to spend ten thousand dollars at the mall for yourself right now. <laughs> no, the worst Jeremy day would be like I say something in good humor and it offends someone else, and I didn't mean okay. to do that, you know. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think it's really interesting just to think about what fun is. Now, if we come back to art, it's really interesting, I think, because fun in art is sometimes um, actually considered like a negative thing yeah, among art audiences. Yeah, it's like, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, like some people can get away with it, but you need to create a myth around it and that there's some element of criticality. Yeah, it's almost something, like... You're, you're seeing something more than just having fun. I don't know. Do you know examples of artists who seem to have a lot of fun and it's fine? Like, like uh, McCarthy or something like that? Um, yeah, but that's a lot about... Pain and guilt and shame mm-hmm. and, uh, and oh, they just have darkness. fun for the sake of fun. Like Tony Orsler was one. I think if you look at Tony Orsler's early, early work, yeah, um, the videos he was doing are, are completely senseless. But David Shrigley, yeah, like yeah, Shri- Shrigley is a great example. I mentioned um, even Alex Bag on a previous episode. Yeah, um, I think I think there are lots of little examples, but like. They go up against Richard Serra. Or like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even Cindy Sherman was very playful. Um, yeah, so frivolous is often the word that is used pejoratively. Oh, that's frivolous. Yeah, so there'll be a spectrum of even the artists, like, you know, let's take Cindy Sherman's work. It'll be like, oh, yeah, when she started doing the clown stuff, like, ugh, that really took a turn for the worst, right? <laughs> and <laughs> so it'll be as soon as they veer too far into fun, it's it's viewed as gouty or, you know, like, kind of um, yeah. tacky. And and in art there's the issue that the same with the the Alexa jokes or the prompts in an app that if you a joke is funny but if a joke has to last 100 years and it's 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 a yeah I get it after two times. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. Yeah, I wonder what jokes do last 100 years. I mean, puns, visual puns are, are the, probably the most common yeah. in, in our But in there our is world. there is playfulness and joy that can last. It's not a I get it thing, but uh, Mhm. I was watching a, this this clip yesterday though of uh it was of two comedians, Will Ferrell and um oh no, who's the other guy? It doesn't matter. Uh touring a, an exhibition at the Hammer Museum. Yeah, yeah. And they chose you, the 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 most cliché I don't understand it exhibition. Yeah, it was a bit. <laughs> it was a bit annoying to watch. A friend sent it to me, and then it later appeared on my. Yeah, on my I felt the well. same. I was like, "Oh man, I hate this stuff too. Why do you have to show this exhibition?" 
Yeah. Well, the other thing was like I had shown, you know, I mentioned to the person that sent it to me, I was like, actually, I've shown along some sides some of these artists. That one is actually pretty good work. This one's really annoying. Da, da, da. Like they were missing. They really packaged in such a way that it was like. But it went it, around. Everyone talked about it. Everyone did talk about it. And I feel like it's like when I'm in the UK, like whenever I ride the subway, there's a tabloid cover at least once while I'm there, which is like, you know, Tate pays one million pounds for black yeah. painting yeah. just you know or empty canvas or something yeah um, but, but uh, that's anyway. the whole that's the whole fun for collectors to be to be like i'm in on the joke and the uh, the big audience is not yeah that's right there's a little bit of an in club to it like the uh in that particular clip i don't the, think you know, there's a little bit of in- i think that's it's the, the <laughs> defining character of the market you think so like yeah. like to, the- to collect something that most people are like wait you paid a billion for that Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like, but that's true of any collection, right? Like if I had a collection of rare, I don't know, beads or something like that. Yeah, like it's the opposite of like, hey, I collect gold bouillons. It's like, yeah, of course, they're <laughs> worth a lot. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I collect stacks of cash. Yeah. <laughs> I collect Ooh. barrels of oil. Yeah. What's funny about that is people would be really impressed with those stacks. That's <laughs> probably more expensive than the artwork that it represents. Yeah. Yeah, well, you have to get, there has to, I don't think it's always just an in-joke though, Raphael. I'd say it's also, there's like, it brings you some delight that No, but I, I think the, the idea of, uh, maybe not if you're collecting Leonardo da Vinci, but if you're collecting contemporary work, it, I think by its nature, it has to confuse people. Well, it has to be, because if you're like, if it's completely clear that it's beautiful, then yeah. you're like, well, that's confirmed already. So you want to well, go somewhere where it's pushing something. You're referring to, I think, also is like that it has to provoke a conversation, and because if there's a conversation, uh, yeah, or a provocation, or an irritation, or some friction, yeah. But you and I have been to lots of dinner parties where you know we're given a tour of the home, and someone is like able to point out all of the stories embedded in all of the works they have up in their home, and I think that like. You know, as artists, we're also expected to bring those stories to the, our process when we make works of art, right? Like, how did you arrive at this absurdity, right? And I, yeah, I've often... Uh, I, I, that that uh, was something I wanted to talk about, that mm-hmm. there is this expectation of a defensive narrative of saying, oh, I didn't just have fun. Actually, this and this and this happened, and that's why it resulted in this. But you can't mm-hmm. just say, well... I like bananas, so I painted a banana. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Warhol did that well, but... Well, yeah, maybe Warhol did that well in George Bush or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know what, I like the sunset, so here it is. <laughs> you know who I think is doing that right now? Is uh, Jim Carrey. So Jim Carrey, I've mentioned oh, him yeah. on, the, on, the, on the podcast previously, no, but he's in but the he's, news again. He, he does a lot of... Uh, uh, he talks a lot about the cathartic... It, He's kind of a guru now, so he does have a lot of this talk around it. He's not just like, I'm having fun. He's like, no, I'm laying my soul bare, and we have to get rid of expectations, and uh, the ego doesn't exist. And so He talks a lot. It's I not just, like, it's not I, just I, like, hey, I like sneakers. So I made a sneaker <laughs> painting. My understanding of Jim Carrey now, though, is that I think he's actually... It's a long game he's playing on us. <laughs> this is a long-term performance. <laughs> this week he released like a series of Trump paintings, which were just as horrific as anything else I've seen him do. <laughs> he's doing like political paintings, which yeah, definitely because he likes Banksy. I'm sure that's it. yeah. <laughs> he thinks so. It's yeah, so bad. Yeah. His work kind of looks like Banksy. 
And then people are commenting like, actually, I think these are pretty good. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> they're not good. I do like George Bush's paintings. Mm. Well, I think George Bush is the strategy so that we forget that he killed millions of people. It's like, hmm, maybe if I just saw, I saw <laughs> yeah. someone, he just consulted a PR person. Yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah. you should just become a painter. That's the only strategy to get yourself out of this political yeah. hot water. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but but, but it does, uh, it, it, I, I have noticed with a lot of uh, our peers mm-hmm. that everyone, even myself included, um, everyone likes to have some sort of intellectual framework to justify what they do, to justify the play. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, this, and, and I read this, and then it reminded me of that, and then I arrived here. And I feel like all these peers listen to music, and it's completely fine that the musician is just freaking out and having fun. That's fine in music. But with artists, you always, uh, you, I think it's very deep in our education that it's like, so why did you put this there? And why, why did you choose that material? And why, and why, 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 why? I mean, I'm very supportive of the why in some ways because it personal inquiry is part of reflecting a life lived. But I, but I it, can, totally, it can go too far, no? Like, no, no, I, I agree with yeah. you. But uh, you know, if if part of our responsibility is to reflect, um, mm. yeah. But society, if you say the word responsibility, that's already the opposite of fun. Well, I know. I, I once asked Hiro Stero, like, well, you know, what's the responsibility of an artist for the work that they create in the world? And she, you know, plainly said to me, "It's like." There is no responsibility in art, yeah. and I was That's actually disappointed. Yeah. I was very disappointed uh, with her answer. Actually, I was like, I was two inches away from her. I was like, never been uh, that close to her. And you're like, aren't like, you? Don't you want to make everybody rich and happy and uh, prosperous well, I, uh, and educated? <laughs> well, I was just thinking because she's so politically oriented. That yeah. her answer was, of course, going to be like, yes. Art I don't has think. I don't think she's politically oriented. She just uses it to sell her work. Mm, oh, that's a damning, uh, a damning critique of it. No, I think I think if you ask her, she would probably admit it. it, it, it I think it uh, when you see the work, she loves to play with form too in the videos and in the mm-hmm. installations, mm-hmm. and then everything on top of that is uh, to create layers of importance so she gets invited. Yeah, that's. I, I don't know if she's aware of that or if any artist is aware of that, but that's my theory that we all add defensive layers because we're scared if we just say. I like bananas that we won't get invited. Now you say that, and I have created a few performances over the course of my career where it's just been like, I like bananas, but essentially like, I like dancing. So I did like, yeah. for a long time, I would just perform like dancing to my favorite pop songs. And, um, and I've also, and I, there's, there are some other artists that have done similar work. I remember I went to school or just after I went to school in Syracuse and Hirsch uh, had like a channel a YouTube channel where she just danced to different songs um, that people would request. And there was a political undertone to it, but at the same time, it was also just, in my case anyway, I can I can admit, I really just, and I enjoyed it tremendously. And I, I was really into the aesthetic experience. And like, I had this thing when I was younger because I felt the same way you feel, which is like, as an artist, I'm going to make conceptual excuses or little zones, like little worlds and where, where the, the whole concept is that I'm allowed to have fun. And yeah, yeah, yeah. by creating that little world, if people can see that as a critical area if they'd like. But within that world, I can behave in a way that I'm not allowed to behave outside of it. Yeah. Um, and I think well, that's I'm, really I'm exaggerating now because I do think that the, the, the framework, whatever framework you can create, can then enhance the fun of the, the play part. So um, that you have something to bounce off of. And you might feel if you're just having fun in a big void and you're just... Yeah. Uh, throwing shapes around and you're not sure where to go, that 
then whatever political, aesthetic, or technological framework can be more fun. It's more well, fun having that. I kind of look at it this way: like, is yeah, if you gave my cat like you know permission to just have fun in an empty void, it would be destroying everything. And then eventually they have like nothing left to just <laughs> like knock everything over. But if you structure, if you create some rules or constraints around the environment, she might actually have more fun. You know, like the way humans have done this traditionally is with I, sports. I think cats. Uh, uh, maybe it's a bad example. Like, on the yeah, cats. but I think the, for the cat, <laughs> it's really fun credit. to to jump on the keyboard if you're typing on it, and if you're not typing on it, they're like, oh. Why would I jump on that? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to bother him. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I was trying to go is like constraints can often lead to fun. Like if you take sports as an example, playing soccer in like a football field uh, or like in, a, in an area, that, you know, with no goals and it's just a huge w- wide open field with, no, you know, no limits. It's not that fun. There's no goal, right? There's no like constraint. There's no rules. Any there's not there's no point yeah. to playing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you add some, you suddenly add some rules, which is like, oh, two markers. I have to get the ball between yeah. those two markers. And some oh, other there's players. a person. Yeah. yeah, there's some other people now. Oh, interesting. Um, and you know, similarly, like we often, um, you know, like one huge category of fun is like puzzle solving, right? Like crosswords and things like that. And like, you know, it doesn't by any other name. This goes back to my video game thing. That's like it's like some a spreadsheet that you're filling. <laughs> like a little, a little tiny spreadsheet at the back of the New York Times. Yeah, but um, it, and and that often goes back to you. You can, uh, I think it it is a very common emotion to complain about your job. And mm-hmm. sorry for all the people out there who hate their job. And I, I, I empathize, but I'm not sure what it's like, so I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I feel like a lot of people like to complain about their job, but they would be really miserable without a job. Like, I think people, people might not be aware of how much joy the job brings them because there's this, this general MO of like, oh, I have to hate my job. I have to. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think most people would just be so bored without a job so it's actually more fun than you think yeah i mean i rarely have i mean just... it, it's it's hard for me to say that because i don't have a job and maybe but do you see that at work that people actually they there's a cliche of like i have to i mean an office so well i should not be happy I, but yeah, yeah. the people i work with really do enjoy their work so okay i do feel like when you're on team jeremy you're having fun <laughs> Well, I work at, you know, we have, yeah, I think I work, I work in a positive environment I, and I work to create teams that are, that are positive. I, I'm sure sometimes yeah, it's but, not uh, that yeah. way. Maybe but, what um, I'm trying to say is that for nerds and, and stuff, mm-hmm. it's often the problem solving and fixing stuff and building stuff yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. more fun than going to a dance party. Yeah. And there's a general rule of thumb, which is after like a certain level of income where you're like sustaining, like, you know, yourself and, and you feel like you can save for retirement, people don't seek additional money they seek additional challenges and that that's a driving factor of you know motivating them is yeah, a sense of except purpose when you and, live in new york yeah i don't i mean the thing is even if you're in a hard job you might actually choose a harder job because it's more interesting and challenging and you start to equate these challenges with fun at least i do and i have in my career and yeah. um, i get bored if i've done something already and i think if we go back to the childhood thing if you, if you, I think you're building on that for your whole life. Like, I'm not going to... I enjoyed Lego when I was a kid. And when I go back, I have nostalgia for it. But I don't have fun with Lego very often anymore. Have you tried it? Have you revisited? Yeah, I've revisited. I mean, if I was going to go back and have fun with Lego, what would I do? I'd, like, want to create something ridiculously complex. Like, I wouldn't just create, like, a little gun to shoot my brother with. It was just, like, it doesn't make any sense, right? No. Um, I wouldn't... That wouldn't be that pleasing. Yeah, you can so make sort of, sculptures in a sort of... 
Solovit Carl Andre Modular Way. Right, then what am I doing? I'm bringing all of this like aesthetic um, history. knowledge and history <laughs> back down to the Lego environment <laughs> that I just enjoyed naively as a 10-year-old. There's a, there's a category of people called, uh, I think it's AFOL, Adult Fans of Lego. So it's mm. a whole world. And they're probably, though, constantly evolving their craft. They're probably the biggest uh, money driver for Lego. Like, the kids get one set per year, and they're constantly (laughs) on eBay getting more and more sets. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all of this, the only good point here is probably cliche, which is that, like, you know, whatever was fun yesterday is probably boring tomorrow. Yeah. And and I wanted to make a very positive episode, but I I also want to talk about the... It seems like there's a, a giant motivation also to create anxiety for anything that's fun, so or to create guilt, and mm-hmm. and it's understandable. And it, but every time something comes along, it's like, oh, Amazon. Oh, I don't have to go to the store to buy toilet paper. I can just order it. Actually, you're ruining the world. Oh, I really like Airbnb. I can be feel like a local. Actually. You're ruining the world. You're just—is this me that you're impersonating? When no, you say no, actually? no. It's the internet. It's the world. I don't know, but yeah. It's okay. like actually, you know that feeling. It's like oh, this is really fun. This is really delicious. This is really great. It's like no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think you're necessarily wrong that you're ruining the world. I mean, just being alive, you're ruining the world. I can just like we can just yeah. like establish that right away. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Are you having kids? You're ruining the world. Are, you know, are you still are alive? You breathing? Yes, you're ruining the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you are because you're using resources. Um, and yeah. so we can probably establish that you're ruining the world, Raf. And so am I. Um, the, you know, but we're not going to like wrap ourselves in burlap and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, but and I, I'm talking our, about the the, speci- the specific journalistic industry mm-hmm. that uh, is created to whatever new cool thing comes along then they're like well actually okay well let's talk about some exceptions to that like what yeah. are some things that currently you know are seem like fun like, like uh, what i mean is the kind of news that comes in is like well actually most cities that recycle just throw all the stuff together and burn it so you're actually not even helping by rec- like that kind of bummer news all the time where you're like mm-hmm. man i thought i was doing something good and it's like Right, yeah. or like, and I guess that's probably an example that we cited in a previous episode was like Elon Musk, uh, you know, launches a roadster into space, and everyone's like, "Oh, you could have launched a, a science satellite <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of this joyous, uh, you know, joke." Like, I mean, definitely he gets this reputation, and I'm usually the one throwing at him for being like college humor based. Well, he actually, a friend of mine is a friend of his, and he he told me that Elon Musk often complains people don't have fun anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's really an issue for him. I think he likes to have fun. Well, we actually talk a lot about it at work because our brand was, um, you know, one of the tenets of it is this idea of playfulness or fun. And, you know, because we make accounting software, like it's a, it's a really a strategic brand advantage to actually yeah. be fun because it's such an, uh, like, if I was like, oh, Raph, like, what are you going to do on your Sunday morning? And you're, and, and you're like, oh, I have to do accounting. What, like, if it's the, the worst thing you could choose yeah, to do yeah, on your yeah. Sunday morning. And so if we could make it even like slightly fun uh, or engaging, then maybe it would just like take the slightest edge off of this. Well, it's a competitive experience. advantage. Like, oh, there's a really boring one and there's the kind of boring one. Yeah, and I think like you know it, when you've sp- I think I've seen you speak at conferences. You always wear like a bright red suit, or you wear a different like like you kind of wear these bold colors and things like that. Well, yeah, look at my work, and then you see the clues. Yeah, but I also do you know a similar thing yeah. when I speak. And the reason I'm doing that is like I know that people are falling asleep 
<laughs> this conference <laughs> it's it's sometimes inspiring but usually they're incredibly boring i'm not as, as goal-oriented as you i just wear it because i like it but. well for, anyway for me it was yeah. like i used to tell people about what I, how fun i was as an artist <laughs> and then i was like wait a second why don't i just like act fun there is <laughs> there is this interesting thing so when you're in business context as an employer it's very important to say we're fun Mm-hmm. Because business is so serious and functional. So you have the, um, I find that very interesting, the interior decorating of uh, tech world. And so on the one side, they have to create this glass dome utopia. And mm-hmm. on the other end, they have to create this children's playhouse where developers are like in the middle of giant le- fluffy Legos. And, you know what I mean? That kind no, of no, interior No, no, you're absolutely design. right. Like, so the, the biggest but, cliche but, is but a, the, slide in, yeah, a slide in the office. Like, exactly. Google always like a, has a slide. With, with a smoothie at the end or something. And mm. the, the, and ad agencies that, ha- like the CEO always has a drum kit in his office or something like that. And they say, like, we're wacky. And, <laughs> but what's funny is the art world is the exact opposite. It's like art is completely useless and frivolous so we're going to build all this academia and seriousness <laughs> around it and so when you enter a gallery it's a concrete room with white walls and completely silent and every footstep <laughs> is conscious and people are looking at you and it's uncomfortable and everyone's serious and when you enter google they're like hey do you want some candy that yeah, welcome yeah, yeah. and you, let's sing a song and uh, so they're both no, kind great- of it's almost like they're both hiding what they are there's a little bit of, I think there's a fear or generally a repression around in joy. I, and maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. From but, but maybe, joy. yeah, like when, when your business model is very serious, you don't want to appear too serious. And when mm-hmm. an art at its heart is playful. And so they're like, no, we're not frivolous. We're a solid investment. And this is better than buying gold. So please uh, take us seriously. Well, what's really interesting is like I was doing some research on this because I was helping shape some uh, learning for uh, like business learning. I won't go into more detail than that. And, you know, came across and was, you know, often referred to this sort of rule of 70-20-10. And like most learning happens on the job, just hands on. And then 10% of it should, you know, happens from reading and curriculum, but 20% of it is actually, is actually learned in social exchange. And I was reminded of this, like I was interviewing a guy who went through this program, this business training program in the United States for product managers, actually, and that Marissa Mayer had designed. And a big component of it, he was like, here's the biggest thing I learned is that the social fun aspect of the, the, you know, this, of this, uh, this whole program was the most valuable. It was the most productive. Uh, yeah. And the most productive. And the way we it's did that. It's one of those they, things that is really obvious. It's like, oh yeah, if you talk to each other, you get ideas. <laughs> yeah. But really? like that, what I found really insightful about that is, well, first of all, they gave them money just to go travel together. Like go, go to, they, I think they sent them to Shanghai or something yeah, like that, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. they started self-organizing trips and things like that. And these friendships ended up being like the, you know, where most of the learning happened. But what I found incredible is just that like when I, when we were thinking about how to structure, you know, this, this, this thing, like bringing up that, well, most of, like there has to be a, a, you know, room for social. It wasn't controversial, but it was like, oh my God, like, how are we going to do that? Right. There were, we didn't have the tools to do it. Um, and maybe we didn't need them, but it's like, there's almost no one talking about how do you structure fun? Right. Like, yeah, how do you make, it's <laughs> like, that's like, that's like, how do you structure romance? Okay. Right now we have time for romance. But, you know, that, but that's, that's why I think it happens less often than we'd like. Like if you, if I was to go into a meeting at work and say, you know, on Monday and say like, okay, 20% of the time here is going to be spent just playing, you know, just playing. 
I would be like, people would be like, what are you talking about, you insane person? But I'd be like, look, all the science proves that this is the thing to do. Like, we got to give people a whole day off, so one there, whole day a week. Are there examples of co- big companies that actually, because I know that Google has the 20% rule and, and all that, but yes, do so they, they, they don't actually use it. I've, so we have a 20% rule, and, I, and I've seen people get nervous about it and say like, well, what's going to happen if they actually use the 20%? We're going to lose 20% of our productivity. What they fail to understand is that non-productive uh, exchange is is often very productive, right? It's the same reason the yeah. water cooler is a productive area. Yeah. Well, it's like that movie Office Space where he is honest about his day and he's like, well, the first three hours of the day, I just zone out and pretend to move my fingers on the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like everyone's always very suspicious of the person that's like playing a video yeah. video at work or like this, the, the whole the whole development of the world has been puzzling to me. I really thought the world would be more decentralized because of better communication tools. Mm-hmm. The opposite happened. People move more and more to cities and to fewer cities, and they want, want yeah. to be in the same city. And the other thing I thought that would happen is, well, if we create efficiencies, then we have more time to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm very, I'm quite uh, negative usually towards corporate play because it's always so contrived compared to the play that I've experienced outside of the the corporate world. So it'd be like, here's this like team bonding event where you have to like it's so awkward <laughs> solve a puzzle together or something yeah. like that. <laughs> like, why can't we just like go hang out together? Like, when I was a kid, I didn't need someone to like structure play for me. Well, um, maybe the problem is also that people are different like some people have more energy in the morning and and then everyone structures the play on friday afternoon when people mm-hmm. actually want to see their families do you want so, i'm going to say something very controversial though i think i'm going to wait yes. for you to finish <laughs> which is, i think in a work environment it's because these are not people that you would probably choose as friends yeah, I, and yeah, I, yeah. I know that sounds oh really jeremy weird. you're so controversial well, oh maybe my God. I, it's controversial if any of my peers are listening because no, I, know. You I, w- don't choose I would choose, I would choose mm-hmm. a bunch of them as friends, but there are some people that I'd be like, not in a million years, you're not fun enough, right? Like, or you're not crazy enough or whatever, you know, like, um, if you go to a party, it's I've not even that they're not crazy enough. It's like, you have very different interests than I do. And like, you're really That's into a- Lord of the Rings and I'm really into, uh, classical music. So I guess those two meet, but yeah. I think I was sharing, yeah, my personal preferences. Like my favorite, the people I click with immediately are people who are willing to like put on a pair yeah. of tap shoes. And then it gets complicated <laughs> because you're in a uh, you're in a higher ranking, so people want to be friends with you, but they might not have the same interests. So there's a, it's mm-hmm. it's not the same as pure friendship where you're not economically depending on each other. Yeah, like it was funny with these. That creates manager. a weird dynamic to have fun. When I went, met with these product managers and I you know, I wanted to emphasize this social thing, I gave them like one goal in this program I was talking about earlier. I was like, your goal is to just be friends with each other. And like, but I think that that's like a really difficult goal. It sounds like the goal. start of a movie. Well, <laughs> on ev- so there's like this standard um, assessment that uh, companies give out to employees in terms of like, is this a great place to work? And we do it at our office. And one of the questions, and it's always the most controversial question every single year, is I have a best friend at work. And it always has the lowest score. And we're like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> like, should we? This question's not fair. But then like, you're always almost a big like a, a farmer who has to find like, oh, will these animals mate? I hope they fall in love. And like, 
Well, yeah, it gets problematic because you might also want to create, um, you know, enemies at work. You might want different yeah. kinds of ideas, right? You might want people con- confronting one another to get to the best idea with controversial points of view. But um, yeah, so it can it can sometimes get political. But I've all that 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 question is always like sort of bounced around in my head, and I think it's actually like it's kind of important to find a friend at work to have fun at work. And in our world, I definitely do that. And so it was interesting for me to reconcile that. Why don't I? engage more with that in my in my corporate life and I've, I've since changed but in the art world you usually choose i mean you and i are friends right i guess long pause <laughs> <laughs> yeah of but course. why would we choose to be friends right it was based on a few exchanges we had that were actually fun like we would hang out and have fun yeah um and, yeah it's funny it's, how that works like uh, some people you can just talk forever and i definitely have that thing where I'm not that good at chit chats. That if I'm not with a person that I have similar interests, I just get quiet very soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean we've all been in those scenarios, and it's just like you have to work to have fun in those situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exhausting. Uh, it is. It's exhausting, and you leave the party like, oh my god, that was that was crazy. That was so hard. Yeah, and, and what's also like the classic idea of fun is maybe like skiing or surfing or. It, it, Getting drunk with a bunch of people. Yeah, I think getting drunk and high is at the top of people's list. Yeah, but then when I'm around people and at a party party, it's really not for me. And I'm definitely not. And I feel like our core listeners are probably the people who don't party that much. Well, here's the thing. When I'm at a party and it does get to that point where people are too drunk and too high, I get very uncomfortable and I usually leave. It's not fun It's like a zombie movie, no? (laughs) It's true, it's true. And I and I th- I don't know, but I think it's historically because a I'm always in a good mood and I'm always ready to have fun regardless, of, and I don't have any social inhibitions. So I've been trying not to judge. Like maybe others have greater social inhibitions than I do. But then the other thing is, um, I think when I was younger, I used to run spaces, and so like my job was to be responsible in case someone got hurt. You know, like not to drink too much. I was also always the designated driver, and so I think it just it like flashbacks of responsibility wash over me every time I see people like that. Like, who's going to take care of this mess? Oh no, it'll be me. It has to be me. Who else would do it? It's also when you're sober and the rest is drunk, you're a witness and that makes them uncomfortable. (laughs) You're registering everything. Well, and I've been a boss now for for many years and no boss is ever comfortable seeing their employees like uh, hammered, I think. So it's like... Yeah, it's just There's a whole tradition in Japan that if you go out drinking with the boss, you have to drink at least as much as the boss. You have to keep up. Oh, interesting. And you can't go home before the boss goes home. <laughs> well, it's interesting that in cultures where it's permissible for uh, workers to like socialize that way together. Um, I think we pretend like it is in North America, but it always ends up in scandal and it's not really, really, we haven't really figured it what out. What do you mean with the scandal? Like... There's always there's a lot of problems that happen when employees drink together. I'm just saying, like. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I don't these are to... tense times. Let's put it that way. Okay. No, I, I mean I think legitimately because I think people are, are kind of walking on eggshells because we're all moving to new social dynamics and we're still learning the rules. And then when you get drunk, like it's hard to control and you say the wrong thing and you hurt people and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's been true for a long time. I just think it's more visible now. Because yeah. <clears throat> I, I worked in advertising. I'd say like the advertising industry was like 
build itself as the most fun, but it was like relative to the most amount of stress that anyone's ever experienced. Like crazy like, deadlines. Yeah, it'd be like crazy deadline, and then we'd like, and then like, what are we gonna do when we when once you get the thing done? You're like, what are we gonna do? Oh, we're gonna get hammered. We're gonna get smashed, and we're yeah. gonna like live live like there's no tomorrow. To um, me, obs- observing different creative industries, the fashion industries is is the, the scariest one. Really? Yeah. Why it's, is that? It's just. It seems it's it's really mean. It's like at at its core, it's about being mean. Hmm. Um, have you? I don't go to many many fashion events. I just know it's really hard to make a living as a fashion designer. It's nearly yeah, impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's like the hardest one of all the creative industries. Yeah, I think so. And and I. But I also think it's almost based on. The meaner you are, the cooler the brand is. So you have to create an environment where everybody's it, like, where can we find the meanest people and put them together so we have the meanest brand? And hmm. like, it's, the the, the yeah. more uncomfortable you feel in the store, the higher the value. It's interesting because I just started uh, working with someone on a fashion brand <clears throat> through my work in Chicago. It's an apparel brand, um, like a restorative justice apparel brand. So it's political clothes. Um, but I was there last week and I swear it was like the most fun. Like I spent a day at the store and like there were, maybe there's a new wave of, yeah, different attitude. I don't know. Yeah. Like, but is that fashion or clothing? Like, well, you know what I mean? That sounds like a pretentious distinction to a certain extent. Like, well, is it practical clothing that you can wear every day or is it like crazy pieces that you talk about more than you wear them? Oh, these are definitely made to talk about. Okay. <laughs> like each one is like a pol- like a political uh, piece. Okay. And very provocative. But, you know, I was there and people were, they were recording a rap video and like hanging out and like smoking up and stuff. It was like really, maybe it was a very... Maybe because I lived in Paris for a while and I was dating yeah. someone who was in the fashion world and maybe it's specifically the Paris art world, but I just heard of interns that had to pay to intern. Like you don't get paid. You have to pay an administrative oh, fee. Yeah. That's like the Devil Wears Prada kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that world, yeah. Because hmm, hmm. well, I, 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 I know a lot of artists are like, oh, our world can be so mean, and I don't know. And it's like, oh no, the fashion world is way meaner. I will say, like, I w- used to work in advertising, and we'd get, I'd get on set, and I met met one of my best friends who ended up being he's a comedian, and he had he did like shit girls say as like a, a thing online, and and became popular, semi famous doing that. But we met on advertising sets, and we we bonded because they're like. You'd be like spending like a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand on a shoot for a day, and you'd get on set, and and it would be this is like gonna be fun. We're gonna make like this crazy ad, and everyone would be so tense <laughs> and like just like gritting their teeth, like you want to do another take? <laughs> what? And be like, yeah, but it, you know that was really cool. But what if we did this? And wouldn't that be fun? And be like, yeah, whatever you say, boss. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, this is all this passive aggressiveness. And be like, I thought like we were supposed to be having fun uh, like, recording this. It reminds and, me it of was- that SNL sketch. You remember the the horrible Pepsi ad with the Kylie Jenner? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, horrible controversy. With the backlash. The show notes. And then yeah. SNL made a sketch about the making of of that commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the director's right. on set and he's like calling his, his brother or his cousin. He's like, okay, I have this great idea to embrace protest and social change in the name of Pepsi. And like, oh, so you don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, uh, And they're like, the shoot is happening as he's speaking. Yeah. Well, on set, I'll say, is like, and, and maybe it gets to a good point, which is like when you're on set, you've got a lot of money and a lot of people and a very limited amount of time. And for some reason, it just creates if it, I, I've heard of sets kind where of this thrilling, is not the no? case. It, it can I think it, on certain sets with the right leadership and the right team, 
it's incredibly joyful. Yeah. But on on other sets that I've been on, it's like the most nightmarish like twelve hours that you can spend, especially as you get close to the end of the day, and you're like. You're just you're the difficult person that asks if we could just like reshoot that one thing yeah. to adjust this thing, and uh, that literally that scenario has happened to me like more times than I can count. And I'm like, uh, like, and I think it has to do with the hierarchy in that. Well, it's, it's also the the sense of purpose. If if everybody's on the same page and you're like either technically it's interesting or artistically it's interesting, but you you believe in it more than just getting paid, right? Like if it's a commercial. And this has been the case in a lot of my situations. It's like no one cares. They like they're going to shoot another commercial tomorrow. Yeah, but if right? it's technically challenging, they might care. It's like okay, we're going to do this special effect, and it's really difficult, but it's going to be the peak of your reel, and this is going to be a, an amazing feat. So you're absolutely right. And I'll tell you about the one ad I shot where that was the case. I shot this that's ad a, where I just want to go. That's exactly yeah. what you were talking about before. Like the challenges are fun. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I did this ad where we were going to have all the actors be the camera people and they're going to they shot as if they're shooting on their cell phones. And there you know there was going to be this like car that flies away and this other car that gets crushed and and we did the ad and actually the shoot went really well. The actors had a great time. The, the whole production team loved it. It was like a very expensive shoot, but it was really fun um, because it was I think like technically really innovative at the time um, and hard to do but also like that we even the fact that we engaged the actors as camera people that was like unusual and I don't know like we broke all the rules by breaking rules it kind of became fun Um, it was the stiffness of the rules in other situations I've been in that really brought me down once again for different people different fun like I hate it when people say okay we have an exhibition you have to make something amazing I hate that (laughs) feeling so I prefer to just play around on the internet for a year and then later on pick whatever's the best but to oh, to, great, to be yeah. to be under pressure and say like okay you have 6 months make something amazing like i can't do that I just completely get stuck you, you think too much i'd much rather <clears throat> think i want to try and make something very unimportant it's very funny that you say that because like i definitely all of my solo exhibitions that i've ever done through my gallery have been not works that i would return to very often. Like it's always been the stuff that That's I eventually why I aggregate. In the internet. Like yeah, when you're just yeah. making videos in an innocent way and like I'm gonna try to make three per week. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way it's, to go. Good stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why my attitude now, even in this show in Chicago, has been like, okay, like I'm not gonna, I don't know where we're gonna go at the end, of, but here's where we're g- gonna try and go. Here's a, y- we're gonna do this for a year. If it works well, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And it, and and frankly, it's just more fun that way, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was if, also if, the thing with BYOB, that, that method of exhibiting, that it's not often that uh, group exhibitions feel like fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, Which it, even it not it doesn't have to be fun all the time, but uh, I do remember though BYOB was super fun, and then you did that New York show, and you were really impressed with how like unfun people managed to make it because it was like they took it seriously. Yeah, yeah, it, it was in, in a fancy gallery, and people were like, oh, this yeah. is my moment. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Good point on fun. I think is like you can't control it. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> and right? it's like, very different for different people. But you can you can create some constraints and that can be fun. We've yeah. discussed that. Yeah, um, it's but different s- for some people, people work great under pressure and some people work great just messing around. And well, I will say the most fun I ever had was doing like seven on seven, which requires you to come up with and present a new work uh, within twenty four hours. Yeah, that right? was a like, great performance. 
but I only had like 12 hours to do something. I find that a lot of fun. I also worked once at a camp uh, for kids that were, it was like a creative thinking camp. And every day was like that where we started the day and we didn't know what we were going to do. And at the end of the day, we had to do something. And I found that incredibly fun. Is it hard for you to have fun when it's not work related? It's hard for me to have fun, I think, when, um, uh, I don't know, when there are rules. I I think if there are no... No, but I mean more like a vacation sense when someone is like, Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Chris will tell you, I'll be like, on vacation, my idea of fun is like not doing anything. Because I'll be like, I would be more fun to be working right now. But uh, So you're on vacation, except when you're on vacation. Yeah. I I have to reconnect. Those dreadful two weeks. Oh, God, I got to go to the Bahamas. Oh, no. I think it'd be different if I had a a hobby like kite surfing or something like that. Because I'd be like, I'd be progressing at something Mm -mm. but But it's a very um this this uh it's fascinating to me this this silicon valley ethos of it's kind of playful and hacking but you're always looking for more productivity and more efficiency so let's uh like food for example is really fun but they're like let's solve the problem of food and we'll put it in a tube so you can do more coding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and and I understand is, for a lot of people coding is more fun than eating and cooking but um the, I really believe I really I, believe I, I, I just want to say that there's something in the, in this idea of there's a, there's a giant contradiction in developing technology for the sake of efficiency but then kind of being against useless time. Mhm. But I really believe it's because it's summarized by the a board game or the video game comment that I made earlier is that like that population is not really thinking that they're they're affecting the real world. It the, everything's looked at like you just said, like as an efficiency game. It's like they might as well be playing Farmville. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so once you're living a life where your life is Farmville, you can't help yourself but like try and get to the next level, you know. And that turns out to be kind of fun. Unfortunately, it also turns out to be like potentially like harmful to the world. Yeah, and like it, it, it it's funny when you have genius computer scientists who are invested in making Instagram more sticky and mm-hmm. maybe after five years of crazy deadlines they look back and like what was I doing this is a really uninteresting game I should play another game right 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 yeah I mean I think that that's what that's one of the jobs that artists have uh, if if I can ruin the no they don't have a job second. that's the whole point <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but is to demonstrate that there are other ways of thinking and, and one of those ways might be unstructured right like yeah. Um, to provide frames for others to dive into and see the world in a different no, way. It, the whole point is that artists don't have responsibilities. I, I know, I, but I, I, ran into, it. I ran into... And it's like, how are you? He's like, yeah, I'm unemployed. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> but he always had a job next to the arts. And it's like, huh? How can you be unemployed if you're an artist? Well, because, like I've said previously on the podcast, having like steady employment if you're an artist that understands that you're an artist is actually a really special thing um and a lot of art like 99 percent of artists work this way um they have an employer who's like oh i'm gonna accommodate that you spend a whole bunch of your time doing this unstructured stuff um and when you're unemployed if if you're circ- looking for work or worried about money you know you don't have that like well there's a difference that- between saying i'm broke or i'm unemployed yeah no but i know but it was what i was talking about with the cat earlier which is like it, you know, give me the food, give me the water, give me the heat, right? Like, and then after that, I'll have fun. Then I but can like, chase my tail. Then I can chase my tail. Yeah, I'll chase it all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a good spot. I don't know. Yeah, it's a I little think so. Early. 
So we do have a field recording uh, this week, uh, as we do every week. Yeah, um, you want to start the, reading and I'll read along? Yeah, so hey Jeremy, my name is uh, Kurtu Pusnin, and I'm a circus artist working in Montreal. So we have a big circus following I'm figuring out here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I absolutely love the Good Point podcast, and I thought I'd send you guys a field recording from a weird museum experience I had a few weeks back. This is okay, a so recording is- of me walking through the Leonard Cohen exhibition at MAC in Montreal. That's almost, the Museum of Art Contemporain. Sorry. Yeah. Almost all the pieces had some kind of sound, so hearing it was almost more important than seeing it. And I thought it would be conceptually fun to send to you. Okay. So I also have a request for a topic. Okay. Topic request. By the way, people, you can always send in your topic requests, and we'll do our best to... You can also send us money. <laughs> you can buy mugs. Oh, yeah. Every time I mention you can buy mugs at goodpointpodcast.com, it's been incredible. People but they're just really buy good mug. mugs. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can also buy. We should have some customer say. reviews. <laughs> so uh, I also have a request for a topic. She says, I believe you've gotten a field recording from my friend uh, Jay Gilligan. Jay and I have a long email chain discussing art and circus. One of the questions that we keep coming back to is the importance of intention in art. Do our intentions matter in the end? Does our work I need can to have a specific it intention? Right now. Yeah. Intentions do not matter. Hmm. But intent, I will say, is like. <laughs> well, often we can do how, an episode about it, but that's we my could point do an of episode. View. It's like I will, whatever like problems you had with it. No, you see the work and that the work has to do the work. And not like whatever like, wishes you had. But here's a little thing for this episode, which is like, if the intent is to have fun, then it's probably conceptually rigorous. <laughs> like, remember you saying earlier, like by expressing the intent, like the intent here was simply to explore I know, but joy. if the work itself is not fun to look at, but you had fun doing it, then... That's fine too. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's fine that you did it, but for the viewer, they have to oh, get right, energy yeah. out of it. If, if you're like... If you end up painting a gray wall, but like, oh, but I had so much fun doing it. It's like, well, I'm not feeling the fun. Okay, so you're saying because the key word here is the int- if is is that valid? Because she's the, like the key word for me is, is the energy of the work. Mm, okay, if the work sucks, the work sucks is basically what you're saying. Yeah, you'll know it when you see it. Okay, well, thank you, uh, Kurtu. Great um, for you to send in this field recording. Please listen to the sounds of Leonard Cohen, potentially the least fun human being on the planet, though. Uh, <laughs> he dressed well. He Maybe did dress well. he had well. fun dressing. He's just known for his depressing uh, lyrics. So, uh, hallelujah. I, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to hear that in here. But uh, have a great day, everyone. And thanks for listening. And keep sending in your field recordings. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
saw footage of the inferno that was the Holocaust. A tragic truth, and one that led to overwhelming support for a Jewish homeland for a year of been exiled. Your desire to balance your presence playing in both Ramallah and Tel Aviv is one that I therefore understand. I was raised in suburban New York, and there seemed no logical reason to not see that as